Yeah, I'm driving home from the store here. And it's funny, I went to, I specifically went to this grocery store because they've had just buckets of this protein bar. They've been selling them standalone for ultra cheap. So the last few weeks I've been getting a lot of this one protein bar there. And I went there today with that in mind. I went there knowing that I could potentially, I mean, it's grocery outlet. So it's kind of, what I like about grocery, grocery outlet is in addition to, you know, the good prices, you never know exactly what you're going to find there. You know, I, I do like that you, you're surprised for better and worse, but I, I went there and I noticed this guy while I was there, you know, he was an older guy. And since we're all still in our masks, you see people's eyes and something about his eyes, like his eyes just seem kind of wild. I noticed him and there was nothing particularly freakish about him or anything. And, you know, going to grocery outlet, it's like going to a bus terminal. There's no lack of quote unquote, interesting people at grocery outlet. It's like hanging out at a bus station, honestly. But for whatever reason, I noticed this guy and this is always how it works. It, it always works where the person you notice when you're there and you, you haven't had any interaction with them whatsoever, but the person you notice is going to factor into your visit in some way. Sometimes for the positive, but often for the negative, <laughs> you know? And so it was funny, like by the time, and I kept seeing this guy and I noticed him and when I finally made my way to where the protein bars were, he was standing there and he was scooping them into his basket. Like all of, like I, I, this guy bought probably 35 protein bars. He took them all. He took every last one of them. And I'm not mad because I've been the person who takes, you know, there's always the dilemma of, you know, if there's something that you use a lot of and you want, it's first come first serve. And whether, whether there's one left and you take the last one or whether there's 40 and you scoop them all like an animal. And what's weird is he was like looking around like he could tell, like you could tell that even though he, he was pretty, you could tell this guy's mentally raw. His eyes looked a little wild. But uh, you could tell that he was, he was conscious of the fact that he was taking them all. But I just thought it was so funny that I went there for this one reason. I went to this store specifically because I wanted to get a good deal on these protein bars. And he wasn't buying anything else either. Like he went there for the same reason or, or if he didn't go there for that reason, it ended up being like the, the only thing he bought. Cause I saw in his basket and it was just, it was filled. Like, you know, a hand basket at a grocery store, it was filled with protein bars. And I'm not mad. Like I said, I'm not mad. I'm a little disappointed because I was like, dang, that's why I was going there, but I don't fault him for it. But it's just so funny to me that it's like, I noticed him and he ended up being the man and I watched him too. It's not like he scooped all the protein bars up while I wasn't looking. It's like right as I arrived to the protein bar basket, the PBB, it's like right as I arrived there, I was, I, I got to witness him scoop the, the bars into the bag or into the basket. But I'm, I'm going to be doing a little grocery store unpacking here, but why not? You know, I was, I was thinking about something uh, earlier because I'm part of this music listening group online. 
it's a private group and I, I barely ever look at it hey buddy hey buddy um i'm part of this this private listening group on facebook and because i mean i barely use facebook anymore famous last words but I, since i barely use facebook anymore i don't typically look at this very often but i like it what i like about it is there's a lot of people who are artists a lot of people who have a genuine passion for this subgenre, for this niche, and you see cool things. And what I like about it specifically, though, is everybody's very positive about it. People are always, they only post things that they like, typically, which is in contrast to pretty much the entirety of my relationship to music, which is often filled on my part with so much negativity. You know, it's so easy for me to think about music and uh releases that I don't like. So it's nice that there actually is a place where people are just excited and passionate about a, a very niche subgenre, one that I'm not even as enthusiastic about as I used to be, which makes it even better that it's a place that I can go. But anyway, enough about that. I posted something to it last night and it was this release by a, a Japanese artist who only released one album, only did one release many, about 15 years ago. And it's a very good release. It's a very strong release. It completely stands on its own. It's a standalone album. It, it's all he ever did. And, uh, you know, it, and it kind of ended up playing into something I was talking about on here recently, where I was talking about people dying. And I was saying how when someone dies, there's this tendency to talk about what they didn't do. How, like, the tragedy is, like, the things that they didn't do. And I mentioned how, like, when my friend died when I was 16, a lot of people focused on, like, what he didn't do, including have sex. I mentioned how when he died, like, multiple people, not just one or two, but multiple people commented that it was sad that he died a virgin. And again, with, like, a child's death, I would never tell the parent of a child who died, like, you know, why grieve what could have been? Why, why think about the potential your child had? Like, I would never tell a grieving parent, your kid fulfilled their purpose and they, they lived a, a meaningful, successful life, so get over it. You know, I would never say that to somebody's parent. But it's not just people's parents and... It's not just people's parents who focus on those kinds of details. Everybody seems to do it. When someone dies, there's, there's this preoccupation with what could have been. And that often takes, that, that's often given a greater point of emphasis than what that person actually did or what they actually were or the quality of that person's life. And this question comes up a lot with newborn deaths or, or when babies die. You know, with the, the spiritual subject matter I pay attention to, I'll listen to these Q&As online and one, it, it comes up often where people will ask these spiritual figures, especially in Buddhism, like, you know, how, how do you, how do you understand a baby, a newborn baby who dies? Like, how can that be, basically, how can I reconcile the horror of that? And not coming from the perspective, like the people who are asking this aren't coming from the perspective of someone who's lost a baby, but they're just trying to, you know, it's, it's kind of like what people deal with in Christianity where, you know, one of those very 
juvenile, shallow, atheist views is like, how could there be a God if he kills people? How could there be a God if babies die? How could there be a God if audiophiles exist? How could there be a God who created audiophiles that kidnap children and put very high-quality headphones connected to a hi-fi setup on their head? You know, that's the sort of atheist, the, the most shallow juvenile. And I think people have to go through that form of thought. And sometimes it's informed by personal tragedy. Like, God killed my my mom when I was 10. How could there be a God? But people usually, like when I, when I listen to these Q&As, people usually aren't coming from the point of view of, uh, like, pers- like, they're usually not asking that question from the point of view of somebody who lost a baby to sudden infant death syndrome or anything. They're usually coming from a point of view where it's, it's philosophical, it's theoretical. They want to know what the spiritual framework is for understanding that. And one of the common answers is that baby fulfilled its purpose. Its purpose was to come here and die. And I think the reason I'm talking about infanthood is because it's like, that's an example of like, there wasn't, like, it's hard to understand a baby who dies as a successful life. It's hard to understand that as a quality life before it dies. Because we, as human beings, our idea of quality, a quality life, is informed by experience. But yet, so many of our experiences are bad. You know, a baby experiences consciousness briefly and dies. It goes against our idea that that a meaningful life is something where you accumulate experiences, positive, constructive. But yet, we see so many experiences as negative. You know, I was talking the other day about how people have their story. And their story is often one of manufactured adversity or real adversity, but still like there's, there's a tendency where if your life has been largely good, there's almost this internal pressure as well as external to come up with bad things that happen to you. And so when a baby dies, it's like they've neither accumulated positive, constructive experiences, but their life was never tainted by the bad either. And we just, and I mean, it's, it's hard, uh, the baby one is so hard. And I think the reason why that comes up in these Q and A's so often is because it's very hard to contextualize. It's very hard to understand something that came to being briefly and disappeared just as quickly. And it, and that baby didn't get to participate in the human experience. They did briefly. Being a baby is still part of the human experience, but it's just, it's a difficult one for people to understand. And I wouldn't say I have any insight into it myself. I don't know what that's like to lose a baby. I couldn't possibly offer any expertise in, in, into what that is. I don't see it as, and it is a tragedy, but I don't necessarily see it as a failure. And, and I think the responses that these spiritual guys, these spiritual guys, the responses that they give do make sense to me. You know, when they say that baby's purpose was to come here briefly and leave, 
I don't know. I mean, because you see where people who have experienced that, I've, I've heard people talk about that who have experienced it, and it's a profound experience for them. And sometimes they're able to do something with it. But I was talking to a friend of mine, actually, who I went to a store where there was a, a manager who I kind of had a weird interaction with. I was looking for something and he pulled, this is just going off on a tangent, but like he pulled the whole like, I don't know if I have that. Like when a manager at a store says, I, like this was at Best Buy, a store that I've never really gone to, but I was looking for a very specific adapter to a power cord. And it used to be you'd go to Radio Shack and it'd be fun to look at all the different adapters. It'd be like, oh, this one, oh, you can convert this, this piece to this piece and so on. You go to Best Buy, which is one of the only stores still around, like there's no Radio Shack around here anymore, maybe nowhere. Radio Shack, I think might've gone under, but you go there and it's like, there's no cool adapters. It's not a good experience. But I asked the guy about the adapter and he was just like, hmm, I don't know if I have that. And it's weird to me when someone who works at a major chain like Best Buy, it's weird to me when they refer to the store as like I, like like when they talk about their store as if they're like a, a guy running a mom and pop hardware store. Oh, hey, do you have Allen wrenches? Yeah, I think I have that. It's weird to me when someone at Best Buy talks that way. I, instead of we. But anyway, like I had this weird interaction with him and I told my friend about it and she was like, oh, I know that guy. And she's like, I, I went to high school with him and she's like, him and his wife, she's like, it's really weird. Like him and his wife, like their baby died and all they do is post about it. Like they, they post like memorials to their dead baby all the time. And I was like, wow. I was just like, wow. You know, not, not in a judgmental way. Just that like, it's interesting to me because you, you figure that everybody they know sees that all the time then. Like everybody they know is probably made sad all the time. Because like she said, she said, she said it's like constant. Like they make like Photoshop images like commemorating their baby who died in, in like right after birth. And I've seen people do that before, but it was just like, whoa. Again, like I can't possibly, I, I have no judgment of that. It doesn't seem like the right thing to do publicly, but who am I to judge? It seems kind of, I mean, it definitely, it definitely shows that there's some serious stuff going on with them if that's what they're doing. But it was one of those crazy things where like I had this weird interaction with the guy. I didn't know who he was. And then my friend was like, oh yeah, that guy. Because the thing is when, when I was asking the guy for the adapter, he seemed almost offended. Like I told you, he referred to Best Buy as I. I don't think I have that. Which I thought was kind of weird to refer to a Best Buy. You work at a Best Buy and you're referring to it that way. But he seemed almost offended that I was asking for something that they no longer carried. You know, he seemed like his tone and everything was almost like I was in the wrong for looking for a an adapter that you couldn't find in their store. And so it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I happened to talk to a friend later and just mentioned it. And But then it, it's like, it's crazy how that other shoe drops where it's like, Oh, this guy's baby died a few years ago, and he and his wife are obsessed with it, as you would be. But they, they like, 
she said they she said it's like a constant stream on their Facebook pages of commemorating this baby who died in infanthood and it's just like whoa you know I, that I mean that's why therapy exists I guess as hard as I am on the whole therapy industry it seems like that's probably why therapy exists but it also plays into why all of these people who ask questions from these spiritual gurus, if you want to call them that, I hate the word guru, but uh, I think that's you know it's 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 an obvious reason why that's a major hiccup in the human experience is the death of a baby. But to get away from like that that anecdote, just the idea that like that can be a full life too, and a baby's death being a full life is something I can't possibly comment on, but. You can see where even somebody who lives a full life gets a similar response sometimes. Like, my friend died at 16, which, yeah, there was a lot more he could have done. He was a really smart, talented kid, and it sucks that he died. He was a good friend of mine. But I just, at the time, even though, like, my understanding of death and everything was far more immature than it is now, and that was the first person I was close to who died... At the time, it just didn't sit right with me. Like, deep down, something really rubbed me raw when people kept focusing on the potential he had rather than who he was and what he did. Not that they ignored that, but it seemed like the potential, the expectation, you know, I was talking about the greed of expectation, and I don't think, like, rec- I don't think like focusing on the potential of a dead person that they didn't realize is the same as the greed of expectation I was talking about the other day, where I said, like, because my rubber gorilla, because this collectible rubber gorilla toy that I sold online went for $67 instead of 80, I felt like I had somehow lost something. Meanwhile, this rubber gorilla toy was something that's been in my family for over 30 years, and I got $67 for it when I didn't even know I had it, and I didn't even think it was worth anything. But the greed of expectation of knowing that this rubber gorilla sometimes goes for $80 made me feel deprived because I didn't get that $13 extra dollars. I only got $67. Oh, my God. It's a, it is similar. I wouldn't say it's greed necessarily. I, actually, you know what? I wouldn't be opposed to it either. It does seem like there's something almost greedy about talking about someone's unrealized potential. It's a different kind of greed. It's why greed is not a one-dimensional word and maybe not the best word for this situation. But I don't think it's entirely different when people say like, yeah, but he could have done this. He did all this. The rubber gorilla was worth potential. The rubber gorilla could have gotten $80, but it only got 67 Oh, he could have done this with his life, but he only did this. And with a 16-year-old, you know, that's one thing. It's, it's not far off from a baby because that's youth. It's someone who didn't become an adulthood. And we have this idea that your life is only worthwhile if you manage to live a full adult life and get a job. Because, I mean, what would have happened? Like, I think my friend would have, been, would have lived a very cool and interesting life. I know him. He, he already lived a cool and interesting life, which is why I don't see his life as a failure. I don't see his life as lacking anything. But it's like, let's say that he did what most people do and he got a job, maybe one that he didn't even care about. Let's say he went through heartbreak 
let's say he got married to a wife that he didn't really love and you know it's just one of those things like that would that make his life more valuable simply because he lived a longer life if he kept going would that have made his life more valuable and i would say no and it's harder to understand with a baby but i would say the same principle applies but the reason why it's it's not just limited to youth and our idea that like youth haven't done all the things that they could potentially do that are meaningful i've seen it happen with elderly people i know an elderly person who died and one of the responses i'm not going to say who it was but just one of the responses was like someone was upset that they didn't live to a certain birthday they really wanted this person to live to a certain birthday and i I don't trivialize that or say that that's stupid or pointless, but for me, it's like, like I said, my mom died a month before her birthday and I couldn't care less that she died when she did opposed to a month later. She died when she died. The measurement of her lifespan really has no impact on that. Like she, whether she died at 71 years and 11 months or 72 years, that means nothing to me. If it means something to someone else, that's fine. But just that it seems very arbitrary to me to care about that. But the reason I'm talking about this is because you see where when old people die, there's always something where someone's like, there's this unrealized potential. And you can see the, the true sickness of that in the way people covered like Colin Powell's death a few weeks ago, where people painted Colin Powell's death as a tragedy. And it's like, what else could he have done that would have made his death or his life totally fulfilled? They paint it because he had coronavirus, but he also had like blood cancer or something like he, he had serious health issues and he was old and he had a very successful life, if you want to call it that. Successful as far as what people perceive is like he attained an incredibly important position in government. He's famous. He was powerful. How was his death a tragedy? And I've heard other people comment on this too, and I agree with them. How was his death a tragedy? Yeah, to his loved ones. But I saw it in the news where it was painted as if because he had coronavirus and, and these comorbidities, like that guy was going to die soon no matter what. And he did everything that a person could do. What what was left for him to do? Or, you know, the other day I also... I, I also mentioned how like a family friend died shortly after he retired and how I, there was this focus on the fact that he didn't get to enjoy his retirement. Again, it was this expectation. It's it, 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 the way these people are processing grief is through this expectation or this, this unrealized potential. And it's like, this guy made it to retirement age and yeah, he didn't get to kick back with a Mai Tai. He had a couple weeks of retirement or something. He, you know, and that's a common story. Like you always hear about people dying right after they retire. And it's always like, oh, it could have been $80. 60, it, we got $67, but it could have been 80. And we do that with human life where it's like they could have done this. And yeah, you've lost, if you lost someone important to you, that is big. And, and I'm, so I'm not, I'm not equating this to money, 
but I don't think the actual psychology is that different. So to go back full circle, I know I've gone on a tangent here. This whole, I mean, everything's, why, why do I even say that? This is such a tangential show. Why do I even say that? But to go back to like, I was talking about this listening group I'm in. And I posted this release and it was just one, it was one album that this artist did. It was a cassette this artist did and it was very good and it is very good. And sure enough, one of the responses, like the first response was a guy going, God, it sucks this guy never recorded a, a, an LP. Oh, it sucks that a bunch of his stuff will, has never been released. It sucks he never did this. And I saw that and like, I totally understand. Like if you love an artist, if you think somebody is a great artist and they only did one thing, your mind is going to be like, well, what? they could have done so much more. Man, it sucks that we're never going to get that unreleased album. Because that's what the person was saying. And, and this guy, like, I have no, I'm not talking shit about this guy. Because that's a totally normal response. To be like, oh, this guy only did one thing. He only had one release. And it was really good. What if he had done a, another album? You see that a lot in music. Where people focus on, like, what could have been. Oh, they never recorded that second album. There's this unrealized potential. And my response to that, like I didn't, I posted something in response that was I don't, not like, not snarky or whatever they say, but I just said, you know, yeah, but I was like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that whatever he, whatever else he would have done would have been good. But I said, but I also love short discographies with high replay value. The fact that this guy did one album that's really good. And you can listen to it over and over again and enjoy it. That's good enough for me. That seems like I don't really see much unrealized potential. And then you also see where, especially in music, where when someone keeps doing something, the odds of making something bad are exponential. How many bands have a consistently good discography? How many bands who released a lot of material? How many artists who do too much? Well, I mean, I, I, that's, I sort of biased the statement by saying too much, but that's exactly what it is. It's like when someone records too much material, it is too much because you're like, damn. So just like you have like someone who only did one thing and the gut response is to be like, man, it sucks. They never did more. It sucks. They never did anything else. The other side of that is, man, I wish they wouldn't have started sucking Man, I wish that second album wouldn't have sucked. So it's like, which way do you want it? Would you rather have a guy who did one album that's really freaking good, freaking good? Or would you rather have somebody who just released a bunch of crap in addition to that one good album? Because very, very few people are able to consistently create good material. So which, which way do you want it? And by the way, I haven't unpacked any groceries. I took the coffee out of the bag. That's it. And I have a bang. I have a bang energy drink. Um, but uh, I actually bought two bangs. I'm drinking one now. But it's just, it's like, it's so common in music to see this where people, their gut response when an artist didn't do very much material is to be like, man, it sucks they didn't do more. And I'm like, yeah, would you have, would you have preferred that they did more and it sucked? Because the likelihood of that is significant. And we all know it. 
We all know that, and, and there's something, I've talked about this before, but there's something built into bands and musicians and artists where like, there's this idea that, you know, you, you're supposed to keep doing it forever. I started doing this, so I'm supposed to keep doing it forever. And when and it's a similar sort of thing, like when a band breaks up, you see this a lot in this context where when a band breaks up, people are like, man, it sucks so much they broke up when they did. Man, they only did one or two albums, and they're great albums. It sucks they broke up. Well, would you rather have they stayed together and they kept sucking? Because you see with reunions. I mean, you can see this with the reunion industry that's come about. The number of bands, like metal bands, punk bands, the number of reunions over the last 10 years is embarrassing, and they suck. 99% of the time, these reunions, are, they suck. And I'm talking about underground bands. I'm not even talking about big bands. I mean, I heard something the other day. Speaking of big bands, I was listening to a show where they were talking about how, like, the Grateful Dead, and apparently this isn't new, but I didn't know it, where the Grateful Dead reunited, reunited and it's John Mayer instead of Jerry Garcia. I couldn't even make up something that stupid. And I don't care if it's good. Because the person who was talking about it was saying how good it is. I was, listen I was listening to this comedian, and this just plays into, like, listening to anybody talk about music is a, ch a chore at best, if not disgusting. And it was this famous comedian talking about how he had gone to see The Grateful Dead, and it's John Mayer instead of Jerry Garcia. And I was like, how can you like that? And I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know what John Mayer sounds like. And that's not me trying to be too cool to have heard John Mayer. I legitimately wouldn't be able to tell you. Like, I can I can assume what he sounds like. And I, I don't hate him. I don't have any problem whatsoever. Like, John Mayer is something that as soon as he kind of hit the spotlight, I knew that whatever that was, wasn't for me. And I reserved judgment. But I can tell you that whatever he is, filling the role of Jerry Garcia is disgusting. But this guy was like, John Mayer's amazing. Did you know, it was kind of like a version of what I was talking about the other day about like, did you know Marilyn Manson is smart? Oh, I saw Bowling for Columbine and I found out Marilyn Manson's intelligent. It's, did you know he's intelligent? It's sort of another version of that because this comedian was like, you wouldn't know it, but did you know John Mayer is actually an amazing guitar player? You wouldn't know it from his music, but John Mayer, he, he, you wouldn't believe, this guy can play licks. Like, like it was funny because this guy was just going on about how good of a guitar player John Mayer is and like why he's a great fit for this like Grateful Dead. I don't, I don't know if they call themselves the Grateful Dead, but that's what they're doing. And I'm just like, that is, how can you like that? Obviously it's not for me, but still like, I don't mind the Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead's cool to me. But I, I just can't imagine being a legitimate fan of them and being like, yeah, John Mayer. But it just shows you. I mean, people are coming from such a different place with that stuff. But it just blew my mind. I was like, this sounds like a bad dream. You know, this sounds like a bad dream for a Grateful Dead fan. But that's where people are at, you know. I can't almost drop the yogurt. Um, but anyway, you see it with reunions where it's like, you know, there's a sort of person who's like, oh, it's a reunion. Oh, man, they broke up too soon and they left a bunch of good albums. I'm so excited for this reunion. Whenever, whenever I, and, and I've been this, I've always been this way about reunions. My, you know, I never had my heart broken by a reunion because 
my entire life I've been extremely cynical about reunions and it's not a reunion if it happens like in a five-year window you know if it's a five-year window of time or so, you know with, if it's within five or ten years I don't know if it counts as a reunion but like what we've seen in the last ten years is bands who have been broken up for a substantial amount of time and left powerful legacies coming back together Very rarely is it good. I can think of a couple examples where it's good, or at least competent. I want to say Pagan Altar was pretty good when they got back together. Not as good, but I remember hearing like, like Pagan Altar after they reunited and being like, you know, they're still doing what they did. And that's all you can expect. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's a failure. Like, if a band gets together and they're slightly less good or, or just straight up not as good, but it's like it's, it doesn't dishonor what they did, like, I think that's fine. But so often it completely dishonors what they did. And it's like, would you rather have a dishonorable reunion, which most are? Or would you rather have the band stay broken up? But if you would rather have, you know, if you would rather have the band maintain their legacy, don't go around whining about, oh my God, it sucks they broke up when they did. It sucks they broke up when they had only done great material. Because what you get when someone keeps on going is a much higher likelihood that they're going to start sucking and then you have to contend with that. And if you're passionate about something, it sucks when the thing you like starts to suck. So I love it when bands break up. I love it when a band only did one album that's really good. I feel like they fulfilled their purpose. And I'm not tricked by these Oh, they, they're doing a reunion. That's a trick. And so like, this got me going because like, it's just, it's just funny to me because like, the, the response to some artist that I posted was about like, oh man, it sucks they never finished that LP. Oh, it sucks they never did anything else. I'm not mocking the guy who said that. He seems like a good guy. Like, I'm not talking shit about him at all but because his perspective is very normal and you'll come across it everywhere. But I just don't relate to it at all because I'm just like, things should end when they end. And people do that with relationships. It's like, oh, man. You know, I, I've heard many people I know when they go through a breakup, they're like, oh, man, we were going to go on this trip. Oh, man, we had plans to get married. But you didn't. And you broke up for a good reason. And I know it's hard. Like, I know that it's hard. I know that. I've been through that. All this stuff I'm talking about are things that I've felt. You know, I'm not just on a high horse here. All of these things are, I have felt this. Often, my, often the things that I'm talking about on here are things that I myself have felt. I mean, even the Marilyn Manson thing I was talking about the other day, where people saw him in Bowling for Columbine and were like, oh my God, he's so, in did you know he was so intelligent? I felt that way when I saw Bowling for Columbine. I was talking to Miles about that the other day. We both had, like, even though we're, you know, even <laughs> we both felt that way. We both had that same reaction, but we also realized quickly that that was a stupid reaction and that we already knew Marilyn Manson was smart. So it's like when I talk about things on here, you know, there's that saying that I came up with, you know, it's mine, copyrighted, preach what you need. 
more often than not, when I go on rants, I'm often preaching what I need or what I once needed. And when I was growing up, I would sometimes have that same response where I was like, oh man, this band broke up in 1983 and they only recorded one perfect album. Why would you want anything more than that? Especially knowing what we know, that bands often make horrible decisions. Artists often make horrible decisions the longer, on, the longer they go. And the people who don't are truly exceptional. And it's not that everybody just has to do perfect things and that's it. Because, I mean, some artists do things that you might not entirely like, but they do something for your imagination and they make you think. Like, I like that, too. Even if I don't love a band's discography, there are some artists who make interesting creative decisions or challenge me in some way. And I like that. But most people don't even do that. Most artists aren't even capable of making off-putting but still interesting decisions. Most of them just start making shit that sucks. Shit, it sucks. Most just end up doing that. And what would you rather have? You can think about a human life, too. It's like, would you rather have somebody die having lived a meaningful and good life? Or would you rather have something bad happen or them do something shitty? Or just, you know, the longer someone lives, the more likely they're going to do something to piss you off, too. People don't like to think about that. I mean, they, when someone dies, they have a really hard time reconciling the fact that that person might have done things they didn't like. It's like on The Sopranos, Livia Soprano, the whole thing is like she refers to her dead husband as a saint. Meanwhile, when he was alive, she was filled with contempt for him. That's one of Tony's things that he mentions is just that when, when his dad was alive, his mom tortured him. But then when he died, she's like, he was a saint. People do that, too. Um, and speaking of The Sopranos, I mean, that's a perfect example where it's like The Sopranos was great. It's my favorite show of all time, but it was great a lot longer than most things are. I would say The Sopranos was... I mean, obviously, it was its best seasons were earlier, as almost anything is. The best seasons of The Sopranos were earlier, but it stayed strong overall through season five. And it had six total seasons. But The Sopranos stayed strong through season five. You can see the decline. Like, as you watch The Sopranos over the various seasons, you can sense that it's declining. It gets more into, un, you know, unnecessary soap opera sort of side stories and things like that. But every time I've rewatched it, which is more than any other show, The Sopranos is like one of the only shows I've watched many times all the way through. And every single time that I rewatch The Sopranos, I think I'm going to try to be objective this time. But I, I notice a decline, but not enough to make me lose interest or it doesn't give me any frustration. But every single time, and this includes when it debuted on HBO and this includes during my rewatches, season six is infuriating. Season six sucks. Yeah, it's still The Sopranos and it's, it's their world, so I still kind of like it for that reason. But the actual stories and, and the, the creative decisions, they absolutely suck. 
And I like the ending. I'm not even talking about the ending, the controversial, like, fade, cut to black ending. I like that, actually. When it debuted, I was like, whoa, what the heck just happened? That was abrupt. But when I've rewatched The Sopranos, I actually really like the way they just cut to black. I think that was a good, I think that was one of the only really good creative decisions in the final season. A lot of the storylines suck. Um, I would have rather they ended it. I would have I would have rather The Sopranos ended after season five, and I was left being like, man, they could have done more. It's just, it's the leaving want the it's leave them wanting more is a saying, and that usually goes for like self promotion, like leave them wanting more. But it is a good principle. Like, especially if you don't plan on giving them more. Leave them wanting more, especially when you don't give them more. Because that way they have a high opinion. But then people end up feeling like five seasons wasn't enough. Because people are greedy. People are greedy. And if The Sopranos ended after season five, people would be greedy for a season six. Even though most of The Sopranos fans I know readily admit that season six is not very good. But it's just funny to me because it's like, if you if they had just ended it, I mean, this happened with Freaks and Geeks. I've talked about this before because Freaks and Geeks was only on for one season and it was a darn good show. And it ends really well. Like the final episode of, of Freaks and Geeks, like it wrapped things up pretty well. Like not like a, in, in the sense of finality, but it was a good end to the season. They didn't leave any holes. Like they didn't, they, I, don't, I don't remember them leaving anything untied. And I've known a lot of Freaks and Geeks fans over the years because it is a, a darn good show. And what's amazing is everybody says, man, I wish they would have made more seasons. Man, it sucks that they didn't make more seasons. And it's the same thing as that album I posted last night where someone was like, man, it sucks that they, they didn't record anything else. And I'm like, isn't it great that Freaks and Geeks recorded, or that Freaks and Geeks filmed one really good season and that's all we have? Isn't that great? Is that not enough? I don't know how many episodes it is, but it is, I think it's like 12 episodes, however long a season is. And it's like, isn't that enough? Like, isn't having a bunch of episodes of something, it's longer than a movie. What if it was just released as a movie, you know? But people do that with movies, too, where they're like, man, I hope there's another one. Man, that movie was really good. I hope there's a sequel. Oh, man, it sucks they never recorded a sequel. It sucks they never filmed a sequel. And it's like, how many sequels are awful? Most. Why do you need a sequel? Isn't one movie good enough? Game of Thrones is another one. I watched... I was late to the, the game. <laughs> Didn't even mean that to be a stupid joke, but... I was late to the Game of Thrones. I was late to the Game of Thrones. I was. I was late to it. And I... You know, I was, I was at my mom's house and I ended up watching, like... I think it was at that point all... I think the first five seasons had been filmed at that point. I think the first five seasons had already been released and I watched them and I was like, whoa, you know, this is great. It's worthy of the hype. Game of Thrones was absolutely worthy of the hype and I greatly enjoyed catching up on it and being, doing a little binge watching. 
And then there, but then even then though, it's like with the Sopranos where there's a decline. I don't remember if it was like by season six or if it was in season five, but I started to notice storylines I didn't like, and they might've been from the book, but I don't care. I never read the books. So I don't care if it was true to the book or not. I just didn't like the delivery in the show where like it started to be where there was like this storyline where like the little girl joins a cult, this like faceless cult where they wear masks and stuff. And I just, TV and movies, they're so bad at esotericism and mystery, especially if they involve kids. Like I'm blown away by like... Football season is the only time I see TV commercials that advertise new shows and movies that are going to be on TV or in the theaters and stuff. And I'm always blown away that they're still milking the whole child saying something ominous in the trailer thing. Because, I mean, like, I thought that that got blown out when, like, The Sixth Sense came out. And everybody was doing the whole, like, I see dead people thing all the time. And that got parodied. I thought that people were over that back then. It blows my mind, though, because it's the same sort of person who loves children's books. The same sort of person who gets, like, hooked by a trailer for a TV show or a movie where a kid says says something ominously. Like, but mommy, the people don't have eyes. But mommy, the, the people don't have faces. You know, the, the kind of person who watches a trailer... And he's like, oh, my God, that looks so creepy. Oh, my God, that looks so creepy. I can't wait. You know, the sort of person who's sucked into that is the same person who likes when someone reads a children's book in that children's book reading voice. And then Mr. Barnaby went to the pasta factory and the squirrel said, what are you doing here? I don't know. That's not a good rendition, but it's like this, like, cause I always, what I, I like the art in children's books, but even as a little kid, when an adult would read us a children's book and they would do that voice where everything is very slow and clearly enunciated because kids are stupid and they can't understand it. Otherwise it always disturbed me. And I know adults who talk like that. I know adults who talk all the time, like they're reading a children's book and I hate it. It, it, to me, it's a sign that they never develop psychologically. Like adults who talk to other adults, like they're reading a children's book. And there's more and more of that. A lot of women do that. It's like, this is torture. This is hell. But, uh... It's the same sort of person, the same sort of person who sees a trailer for a TV show or a movie with a little kid saying something ominous. They don't have faces here. That sort of thing, it always rubs me the wrong way and it blows my mind that anybody likes it. But Game of Thrones kind of fell into that a little bit, like not because the not because the girl was doing that, but just like her whole participation in this cult, it was just boring and empty and took up too much time. So it's like even when Game of Thrones was still quote-unquote good, it was declining. Kind of like The Sopranos, where it was like there started to be more and more storylines as it went on, where you're kind of like, eh, this isn't as good as the early seasons. Same thing with Game of Thrones. And I mean, another thing on Game of Thrones that really rubbed me the wrong way 
was the kid in the wheelchair and his dreams and visions. I've talked about this at length on here. I fucking hate, hate, I hate dream sequences in books and movies. Like when I tried to read Wheel of Time and I only made it through four books, way too many dream sequences. It's like I'm already reading a fiction book. I'm already reading a, a book about something that isn't real. The fact that I now have to read about this character's dream visions, they're never interesting. They never matter. Dreams in real life are interesting, but they're also personal and you shouldn't talk about them with people too much. Because when someone tells you about their dream, I instantly tune out, unless it's particularly interesting. Like my friend had a dream years ago where his parents called him in the dream and he kept screaming blood. He kept screaming blood into the phone when his parents called him in his dream. I was like, that's an interesting dream. But most often, more often than not, like when someone starts to tell you about their dream, it's just like, fuck. And that's how I feel when I read a dream sequence in a book. It's how I feel about dream sequences in shows. Like the Sopranos got really into like Tony's dream sequences and they didn't end up having any meaning. They just threw a bunch of weird shit together. Like we all know what dreams are like, but it's even worse when it's a fictional portrayal of a dream. It's just like, this is so unnecessary. We're already watching a dream. We're already watching a TV show, which is a waking dream pretty much. We don't need dream sequences with like symbolism. That's the worst thing. I understand this is a matter of taste, but I'll see people like, I remember, I remember going to like a Sopranos forum years ago and people were analyzing Tony's dreams. And I was like, you are sick. You are sick and stupid. No, I'm being sick and stupid, but. It's just one of those things. So like on Game of Thrones, when they had this kid in the wheelchair, who everything he said became ominous and mysterious because he's the crippled visionary. He's the crippled mystic. He's Julius Evola all of a sudden. But uh, he, he was having, he was seeing the world through the, the raven's eyes. And he was having these mysterious visions and once they start going into that, I just tune out. I'm like, this sucks. So even though that was before Game of Thrones got really bad, the second they start having storylines like that, even if they're true to the book, they suck. And then uh, obviously everybody knows the last couple seasons were awful. But you know what? If they had ended Game of Thrones after season five, people would be like, but, but, but. But what's going to happen? Wouldn't it be awesome? Doesn't it suck that they never made season seven and eight? Dude, it sucks that Game of Thrones ended after season five. Doesn't it suck that they never made season six, seven, and eight? Meanwhile, those seasons ruined the show forever for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who can never rewatch Game of Thrones because the last couple seasons were so bad. And I agree. Those seasons were terrible. What would you rather have? The, the series just ended when it was still good? Or would you rather have had it do what it did, which is create these throwaway final seasons? But yet people can't seem to deal with that when it's left undone. Like people, if they had ended it after season five, people would be complaining about how they didn't make the last seasons. Meanwhile, the last seasons ruined the series.
So it's just, it's one of those dilemmas where it's like, you should, when something just ends, when a band breaks up, when a show ends after one season, when there's only one movie, when someone dies, you shouldn't orient yourself around, well, the potential, the expectation. You're just going to torture yourself. And it's, and it's, it, it feels like stupid drama too. Because it's always said in a very dramatic way, oh, it sucks that that never happened. Oh, doesn't it suck that that never came to be? It never came to be. And if you like what did come to be, you shouldn't care. Because you have something great. I was talking to Miles last night about this, where I was just like, how many bands that we consider influences, how many bands that we like, just did one or two good albums? And there was no need to do anything more. Or if they did do more, they weren't good. And yeah, some people are the exception. Sometimes something isn't good, but it's still interesting and worthwhile. But it's just that sort of dilemma where it's just like, there's this need to want more, to be this hungry ghost. And it's just, why do you need it? Especially if something has replay value. If there is only one of something and it has high replay value, what else do you need? Is there not enough of other things? Because I know that I think there's enough and there will continue to be other good things too. But I often feel like there is enough. I'm going to hit pause for a second because I have to do something. All right, I'm back. and you know, I might be ranting, but I'm not mad. I'm just... I'm venting because this is built into our psychology and I know the subject matter myself. I say all this because I have the same inclination. I have the same inclination. And by the way, I haven't I haven't unpacked my groceries and they've been sitting there for an hour, so I'm going to actually do that, but I guess I have to set the phone down somewhere. Where? Just right here. This work? I don't know. Um, but anyway, you know, I have the same inclination, which is why it's something you have to rebel against because you will do this. You will be constantly greedy and hungry from, for more. And even when something is perfect, even when there is a standalone idea that is perfect, as a human being, you will have this tendency to be like, well, yeah, but what if, what if they did more? What if there was more to it? And you have to rebel against that because it's so ingrained in our psychology. It is so built into our culture that we form around our human psychology that we constantly want more of something, even when it's already good. And you know this goes deep because, I mean, you can see this with porn. Where... You know, even with porn, like I'm, I'm definitely not pro-porn, but I'm not anti-porn either because I think if you try to ban pornography or stop pornography, if you're too adamantly against pornography, you create more of a need for pornography. It's kind of like with free speech, where it's like, when you censor people and try to ban what people are saying, you create more of a need for that thing. When you try to ban people from saying a certain word, 
you create more of a need to say that word and you feel more of a need to say it. It's like with pornography where I think pornography is bad for people. I do. I occasionally look at porn and I'll save you the details. I occasionally, it's almost like a, um, it's gotten rarer and rarer in my life. And I was never addicted to porn. I've never been a porn addict or anything by, by the standards that I grew up in at least. Cause like, I would think about like, like just thinking about the amount of porn that I would have looked at or that I did look at when I was a teenager, I probably would have been a porn addict by like 1950s standards. But by t the year 2005 standards, I'm definitely not a porn addict. So that should tell you something about our porn consumption. The fact that my own porn consumption as a young man would have made me an extreme porn addict in the 1940s or 50s. But because of the era I grew up in, I think my porn consumption was probably average or maybe even below average. But like many men of my generation, I've learned that porn isn't so great. There are serious issues with it. On every front, for everybody. For everybody. For the participants in production. For the young men consuming it. Or whoever consumes it. And I've never known a girl who truly consumes porn like a man. I had a girlfriend who like, she was one of the, you know, God bless her, but she was one of those girls who's like, I like porn. I'm into porn. And it, like, that meant like once in a blue moon, she would watch a lesbian porn and pretend to be into it. You know, but, but it was like, she was one of those girls who, oh, I like porn. I'm, I'm a girl who's into porn. And you know, I, I don't mean that to even... I don't even mean that in like a disrespectful way to her. It's just that her interest in porn was not in the same compulsory way that it, a man is into porn. It just, it just wasn't. So, I mean, I'm referring primarily to young men and young men through their experience. Like, it's funny that people want to get mad at the whole like no fap thing, which I hate to even say. But it's funny that like there's like a, a certain response to that where it's like you're not being very sex positive. The fact that there's like a new reactionary movement of young men that are very anti-porn and they kind of get shame for that. You know, it's funny to me because it's like the reason why they're anti-porn is because it's through experience. They have personally experienced the downsides of porn consumption. The problem is it's, is it's very easy to get puritanical about that. It's very easy for young men who experience the downsides of porn consumption to now be like, porn should be banned. It's very easy for people to get puritanical in the same way that people who quit drinking get puritanical about it. Like, I quit drinking. I'm not anti-drinking. Not even in the, in the least. But I know people who did quit drinking, and they become puritanical about it. Like I have a friend who joined AA and this person became completely puritanical about it, in my opinion. And it's like, that's not where you want to go with it. So you don't want to see, like, that's the thing that troubles me, though, is, is just like, it's good that young men are realizing porn consumption isn't good for you. But you don't want to become a Puritan. 
even if you don't look at it, you don't want porn banned outright. Because if you if porn were to be banned outright, you now have created a need for porn. It's far better to have porn exist because it will. Porn will exist no matter what, legally, illegally. So it's better to have the discipline to resist. It's like with prohibition and alcohol. That was a horrible failure. It's better to have alcohol available and to have the discipline to not drink or to drink less if you can do that. I had to stop drinking completely. But I know that it's better to have the discipline to not drink. And part of that for me was being around it. I wanted to be around alcohol when I first quit drinking. That's not good for everybody. But for me, I wanted to be around it because I didn't want to be afraid of alcohol. I didn't want to be anti-alcohol. So I wanted to be around it. I wanted to be around friends who were drinking. I wanted to go to bars because that was how I was going to strengthen that muscle. That's how I operate. Not everybody. Some people have horrible addictions and they can't be around it. I understand that. I'm just talking about what I need. But anyway, prohibition didn't work because it was saying like nobody should have this because because people can't control their alcohol use. Nobody should have access to alcohol. That was a horrible failure. And in many ways, it made alcohol a far more dangerous substance. Same thing with porn. You should never want something like that to be banned because you actually strengthen its negative sides by doing that. But what got me going on this is that with porn, it's very interesting, like that need for more. Like talking about my own porn consumption, what's interesting is you, you never want to watch the same video over and over again. You, you want to, like, like you might find porn that you really genuinely like. You might find like a girl who fits your ideal, like she, she's the exact kind of girl you want to whack off to because that's what you're doing in case you didn't know why people look at porn. But, you know, the next time you look at porn, there's a strong chance that you don't want to watch that video. There's a strong chance that you don't want to watch the same girl. Maybe if you really like it, you do. Maybe if you are really into it. But there's diminishing returns. Not just in terms of pleasure. Because there's obvious, you know, there, there, I mean, because diminishing returns should tell you you shouldn't do too much of something. Like in the same way that like, if you really want ice cream and you start eating ice cream, it's incredibly satisfying. It tastes good. Psychologically, it feels good. But if you eat a tub of ice cream and then you open up another one, it's not going to be as pleasurable. If you wait until tomorrow, it's going to be a little bit more pleasurable. If you eat ice cream tonight and then wait until tomorrow night to eat more ice cream, it's going to be more pleasurable. But it's going to be even more pleasurable if you wait a week. It's going to be even more pleasurable if you wait a month. And you might realize you don't even need ice cream, but that's a whole other thing. But, you know, it's the law of diminishing returns informs a lot of what we do. And pay attention to it because there's a reason for that. There's a reason why there's a law of diminishing returns to our own behavior, where if you eat too much ice cream, it is less pleasurable. And it's worse for your body, significantly worse for your body. So you should pay attention to that. And 
it's the same thing for porn, where the more you masturbate, the less pleasure, pleasurable it is. If you masturbate three times in a given day, that third time is going to be significantly less pleasurable, and that's a sign that maybe you shouldn't masturbate three times a day. If you masturbate every single day, it's going to be less pleasurable. If you masturbate once a week, once a month, never. <laughs> no, but if you masturbate like once a month, that's going to be a significantly more pleasurable experience. Because the law, the law of diminishing returns. So to me, that alone tells you you shouldn't do too much of something. When there is a... When the, when the law of diminishing returns is tangible, when you can feel it in real time, that's a sign that you shouldn't do that too much. If food is less pleasurable and you feel like shit after you eat too much of it, that's a sign that you're eating too much of it. If you masturbate too much and it's, it becomes significantly less pleasurable, that's a sign that you're doing it too much. It's built into your body. It's built into your mind. But it's interesting to me that when you look at porn, you don't want to just look at the same girl or video over and over again. And somebody could make an argument that that's a, an argument for polyamory. Like, oh, in the same way that we don't want to look at the same girl over and over again in porn, and we're constantly looking for someone else, that tells us that we're naturally polyamorous. And... We're, we're, you know, we're not meant to be with one person our entire life. But that's because it's not meaningful. Like when you're looking for porn, you're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to form a relationship, a meaningful relationship with this girl. You're looking to whack off. You're looking for pleasure. So of course you're going to keep looking for more girls because your relationship to porn is based purely on sensory pleasure. That's why you do it. That's why people who are sex addicts, they want to find a bunch of different partners because to them, it's pretty much all about pleasure. The reason why people can and often should be monogamous, in my opinion, is because it's based, it's based on something more meaningful. And if you have a meaningful relationship, I don't believe that you'll be looking at other women all the time. That's my experience. And I think I'm less prone to doing that than the average guy anyway. I think I'm, you know, I've never cheated on a girlfriend or anything. And I don't say that from a morally superior point of view. I, it's a simple fact. I haven't. But I think that even when relationships haven't been great, I think that I've gotten a sense of meaning out of them. Which is why I'm not just looking at other girls when I'm with somebody. But with porn, I actually, you know, I, I experience what I just described, where like with porn, I do not want to look at the same girl over and over again. Even when it's spaced out, like I barely ever look at porn at this point in my life. But even then, even spacing out my porn use to, you know, it's very spaced out. I rarely look at it. But even then, I want to see somebody different. But it's because it's linked to pleasure. It's linked to something sensory. And it's what you do with food. Because food can be meaningful too. Like back when I had a poor diet and I didn't work out to the level that I do now, I would sometimes go to the grocery store every night and, and do the whole like, oh, I don't know what I want to eat. 
oh, this, that doesn't look good. I'd go to the grocery store sometimes every single night. Like I had disposable income. And I would, I would sometimes go every night trying to find something else. Like nothing in my fridge at home looked good. I would go to the grocery store. I would go to the deli section. I would look at their the Chinese food they make at the grocery store. And I'd be like, oh, do I want this? Oh, I don't really feel like this. It would be this dilemma. I would wander around the grocery store just trying to find something. And it's because I had no discipline. I had no dietary discipline and I didn't work out. So I wasn't trying to like fuel a certain fitness lifestyle. Whereas now I never have that dilemma. And when I do want something different, when I do want a treat, I get it. But I, I go to the grocery store and I'm like a rocket shooting around getting exactly what I want. Not what I want, but like getting exactly what I need. And I eat the same thing pretty much every day with little variation. Because I'm eating it for a purpose. It has meaning to me. My dietary choices, I'm not on a strict diet. I'm not on keto. I'm not on keto Kalen. You know, I'm not on keto or anything. I don't have a diet that you would describe one way or another. Somebody might be like, oh, are you on paleo? Are you on pele? Oh, are you on the pele diet? You know, somebody might see what I eat and think that. I don't even, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what diet I'm on. I eat food that I know informs my lifestyle and it has meaning to me. When I eat a meal, I know that my meal is gonna involve lean protein. It's going to involve certain vegetables. It's going to involve certain nuts. It's a banana here and there, you know? It, it's a very specific diet, but it's, it's simply informed by what kind of results I want. It's informed by how I want to feel. It's informed by how I want to complement my fitness lifestyle. And as a result, I never go to the grocery store and wander the aisle thinking like, what do I want? Oh, I'm bored of that. I'm never bored. I don't get bored of eating the same thing every day because it has a meaning and purpose. In the same way that if your relationship has meaning and purpose, you're less likely to have a wandering eye. But the reason why people who are looking strictly for sex all the time, the reason why they want a lot of different partners is because it's not based on any meaning beyond that. The reason why you don't want to watch the same porn video over and over again, even though it was really exciting the first time, is because you're just looking for pleasure. There's no meaning in that. And there's a law of diminishing returns that informs your behavior. This is how, how far people have strayed. This is how far people have strayed is that they don't even pay attention to the law of diminishing returns and what that means. Like they don't know that when you jerk off too much and it's not as pleasurable, that's a sign to not do it as much. They don't even know that, even though that's built into us. When ice cream isn't as good because you've eaten an entire tub and now you're on to the next one, you don't, you, you're aware of the fact that it's less pleasurable, but you're so undisciplined and human psychology has become so warped that it's like you don't even think about what that means and what your body is telling you. 
Like when someone says, listen to your body, they always frame it around like, listen to your body. Like you might be getting sick, which the fact that somebody even has to tell you to listen to your body when you're getting sick is insane. But that's how distracted we are and unaware of our own selves. That's how far we, that's how far off base we are. But also listen to your body when it comes to jerking off. Sex. Sex. Eating. When you notice that something you're doing becomes less pleasurable every time you do it, that's a sign that you shouldn't do it as much and that you probably are doing it too much already. It's not that hard, but yet we can't seem to, we, we don't understand this. And it's, this, there's a law, and you know, this law of diminishing returns circles us back to artists. There is a law of diminishing returns to art. I am putting groceries away. Most of them are put away. Um, there's a, lo- a law of diminishing returns to art, too, where it's like the more art somebody produces, the more likely it's going to lose significance. The more likely it is to fail. The longer a television show is on, the more likely it is to suffer creatively. Something to consider. There's a law of diminishing returns to so many things. And we as human beings have a very difficult time with that. We keep thinking, I want more. Oh, I I just, I ate a bowl of ice cream. I want more. But that one bowl of ice cream was really good. The next bowl of ice cream isn't going to be as good. Unless it's really dang good ice cream. Unless it's the best ice cream you've ever had. But even then, it's probably going to suffer. Your experience is probably going to suffer. So the law of diminishing returns plays out with art and music and TV and movies too. Where it's like, the longer this goes on, the more likely it is to suffer. And you're going to suffer. Because this thing that you thought was great isn't so great. So when a band does one album, be like, well, that was a really great bowl of ice cream. That first bowl of ice cream was incredible. I sure wish I could have another. But keep in mind that the fact that that one was really good should be enough. And on that rare occasion that you want more than one, you can have it. On that rare occasion when an artist creates great art for their entire career, nobody needs to tell you it's great. It's evident. But if a band only does one good album, be happy that there's one good album. And that they didn't do anything else that disturbed their legacy. But we're hungry. But it's not hunger. That's a misnomer. You ever heard of a misnomer? Oh, that was my kindergarten teacher, misnomer. Mrs. Nomer. No, it's a misnomer. Hunger is often a misnomer. When, when somebody says somebody's hungry, that's not what they mean. Because hunger is something you need. When you're hungry, you feel it. When you're hungry, When you're hungry, you need something. It's like when people say, I've talked about this before, but it's like when people say needy, 
what they mean is wanting. And I know that's like a dad point. You're not being needy. You're being wanty. But that's what it is. When you're being needy, I agree that's like it has a better ring to it than wanty. But usually when someone's being needy, they're not actually seeking a need. They're seeking a want. And it's not going to be satisfied in most cases. The people I know who are truly needy, and I know some needy people, they're not needy at all. They want. The, the people I know who I would describe as hungry ghosts, they're not hungry at all. They're just not satisfied. They're just not disciplined. Their hunger has been satisfied, but it's not actually hunger that's bothering them. They're not hungry. They're not needy. They want. And that's what all this is, this entire episode. It comes from this place of want. This unquenchable expectation. This perception that we live in this world of unrealized potential when there's so much realized potential. And we, and we have this negativity bias where we frame things that way. Oh, this person died. They were 89 years old, but they didn't do X, Y, and Z. You'll see people say this where it's like, their 89-year-old mother died, and they're like, oh, but she, you know, she didn't get to tend her garden this spring. Oh, she died in the winter, and she always loved tending her garden in the spring. Man, it sucks. She didn't get to tend her garden this spring. It's like, how many times did she tend that garden? She had 89 years to tend that garden in the spring. And you're talking about the, the fact that she can't do it anymore? I understand grief, okay? But that's not even grief. Oh, man, this band really realized their potential on this album. But the fact that they didn't finish their second album, so much unrealized potential, man. Oh, this I got $67 for this gorilla. But man, I could have gotten $80. I could have gotten $80 for this rubber gorilla, but I only got $67. It's all the same psychology. And it's not that it's trivial. I'm not trivializing death by comparing it to a band breaking up. I'm not trivializing death by comparing it to a rubber gorilla I sold on eBay. It's not trivial at all because it's universal. And the fact that this same psychology plays out with the most severe and important events in our life, like death, and something arbitrary like the media we consume, or things that we sell or buy, the fact that it plays out universally doesn't trivialize it. It just means there's a broad spectrum to this way of thinking. And we're so sucked into it that it plays out everywhere. And I don't think you'll ever completely escape it. I don't think you'll ever completely beat it. Because we are human beings and we are fallen by nature. That's what it means to me to be fallen. It's why Jesus was perfect. And the idea of Jesus dying for your sins plays in directly into this, the idea of it. Shallow atheists hear that and they're like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. That's what it's getting at. It's getting at the idea that 
We are all by our nature fallen and prone to this erroneous way of thinking. And perfection is sacrificed as a result. Jesus Christ represents perfection in the Bible. Whether you believe it or not, whether you believe the Bible or not, doesn't matter. Because that's what Jesus represents. He represents perfection. He is an ideal. And perfection and the ultimate ideal are sacrificed because they are unattainable. It's In Buddhism, it's the most distant shore. The idea in Buddhism is there is a distant shore and you are heading toward it. But the reality is you will never reach the most distant shore. But the fact that you're going there, the fact that you're heading there, that helps you orient your life. It helps you orient your vision. And everything that you do reach, even though you won't reach that most distant shore until death maybe, if at all, but the fact that you are heading toward that most distant shore, the things that you will experience, the things that you will do along the way, it's a guideline. The most distant shore is a guideline. And if you use that guideline, you won't attain that perfection. You won't complete the journey. But everything up to that point is meaningful too, and you're better off for it. You can't embody Christ. You can't actually be Christ. And that's why when people start thinking they're Christ, they're almost always delusional and insane. Because you can't actually be Christ. But the reason why he's the example, the reason why Christianity is completely the reason why it revolves around Jesus is because he is that ideal. He is that most distant shore that's in Buddhism. And when somebody says like, oh, yeah, Colin Powell died and he was old, but man, there was more he could have done. Oh, my, my great-grandmother died at, at 103 years old, but man, there was more she could have done. Oh, that band only recorded one album. There was more they could have done. Oh, my friend died at 16. There was more he could have done. That newborn baby died immediately after birth. There was more they could have done. What you're saying is they never reached the most distant shore. My grandma, my friend, that band, that TV series, that movie series... They never reach that most distant shore, and that sucks. It doesn't suck at all. Because what they did along that path is what matters. And it does matter. Just because you don't reach the most distant shore, just because you yourself don't become Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that everything else along the way is meaningless and doesn't matter. It actually matters a lot more. And that's what's so difficult. 
but it matters that much more. Children can 